The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. today is entitled prepare now for service prepare now for service Lord Jesus would you anoint the word that is spoken that it might be like an arrow to the heart in whatever way that's necessary today to to take each of us that next step 
or steps toward heaven. Lord, we've come here today because you are the desire of our heart. We've come to hear your word, to worship you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let your name be praised among your people. Amen. One thing I'm seeing in the scriptures more prominently these days, I'm seeing the interconnectedness between the stories of scripture, the words of scripture, recognizing that for most of my life I have pulled a story out, I've studied it carefully, I've exegeted it, and then I've shared it without seeing fully the connectedness that it has in the context of the scripture. Remember, Jesus was not simply giving us stories. This was his life. If I were to ask you to come here and tell us the story of this morning, some of you would have quite interesting stories if you were to tell us the truth of what happened this morning. Words spoken between husbands and wives. Uh, Struggling to get out the door. I don't know why, but it seems to be an especially difficult time between husbands and wives to get out the door on time. How many times I have stood saying, honey, and she cuts me off and says, I'm further along than you think. Okay. You know what time we need to arrive there. You know how much time it takes to drive. So if we leave right now, we're late. So you need to be a lot further along than you are, honey. I mean, you know all the drama that can take place as you're getting ready to go. And, of course, he's trying to do one more thing. And she's saying, honey, would you please just stop and let's go? I mean, if you were to stand here and tell us all the story of what happened for you this morning, it would be an interesting connected story. And then you slip into the seat. And you look so beautiful and put together and calm and quiet and and you'll even hold his hand. While a few minutes ago you were ready to scream at him. I trust that's none of your stories. That instead you live in absolute peace and harmony. Right. That's where we're going. Peace and harmony in Jesus. So we pick up Jesus' story. Now his story is a divine story. And every part of it is there to teach us something about the journey. Jesus' life from Bethlehem to the resurrection was a story of salvation. And we learn from every part of that story. 
if our heart is set on making a similar journey. Now, please understand me. I'm interested in only one journey. I'm interested in the journey from Denver, Colorado, where I was born, through the wilderness to the promised land and crossing the Jordan. That's what I want with my life. Now, I've taken many side roads, and those side roads have not gained me time. They have cost me time. I am interested today, at this late hour in my life, in the direct path between where I am now at the National Prayer Chapel and the pearly gates. Give me the shortest path and the quickest path to that arrival point. The problem is, I also have an assignment that I'm not allowed to come alone. I've got to bring a crowd with me. And unfortunately, some of the crowd that Jesus wants to bring with me is heavily invested in this world. And I'm having to wait for them. And they'll say to me, Pastor, I'm further along than you think I am. Well, you see what time it is. You know how long it'll take to get there. We're already late. Do you sense some urgency in me? The story for this part of the journey begins by Jesus taking his disciples out on the road. They did not get into a Mercedes or a van. They started walking. Most journeys start that way. Crawl, walk, run. Someone just said to me, Pastor, you want us to run? No, you have to start crawling and then walking, and we have to grow into this, but we can elongate that time it takes before we're running. Jesus is going on the road. And as he's going up the road, a man comes running to him. This is found in Mark, the 10th chapter. We've looked at this story a number of times. It's not the focal point today, but it is the setup for what is going to come. This man runs up to him, falls down on his knees in front of Jesus, And says, good teacher, what may I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why are you calling me good? No one is good except one. The one and only God. He is the only one who's good. So why are you calling me good? The man has no answer for that question. All this man knows is that Jesus is a healer and a teacher of righteousness. That's all he knows about him. He does not know that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
but he is very interested in learning what this man knows. And he wants to know what he must do or can do or may do, may have permission to do that will bring him into the kingdom of God to eternal life. And Jesus says in verse 19, you know the commandments. You may not commit adultery. You may not murder. You may not steal. You may not bear false witness. You may not defraud or lie. You must honor your father and your mother. And this man answers, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus does not scorn this man's hard work to be righteous. Instead, his hungry desire to be righteous earns Jesus' love. He said to him, One thing you lack. You must go sell as much as you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And you must come and continually follow me, having taken up the cross. No one is going to enter eternal life who does not have treasure in heaven. If you have not made the deposit of the treasure in heaven, you cannot enter. So what is the treasure? The treasure you must deposit is everything you have created and everything you have earned. That includes everything about your life. The deposit that Jesus is asking for is all of your time, all of your money, all of your relationships. He's asking for all of the resources. He is asking for everything that you possess. He wants your schedule. He wants your goals. He wants your objectives. He wants your ambitions. He wants your dreams. And he wants your video games. And he wants your television. And he wants your football. And your baseball. He wants everything that you have in this world. He especially wants your work and your business. He wants everything that you possess. This is the treasure that you must give away in order to have treasure in heaven. Jesus is so radical in his demand. And many today love Jesus 
have tried with all of their strength to live a righteous life. But you come to Jesus and he says, have you made the deposit in the kingdom of heaven yet? Do you have treasure in heaven? If you don't have treasure in heaven, you can't go. The requirement to go to heaven is treasure. You have to give the treasure to Jesus. Now follow. You notice it says, continue to follow me having taken up the cross. We're going to see in just a moment. Jesus did not want to make the deposit in the heavenly realm. He did not want to make that deposit. He said, Father, if it be according to your will, take this cup from me. He did not want to go to the cross. And not one of us want to go to the cross. But without going to the cross, there's no deposit made in heaven. The deposit is always made via the cross. It is a call to dying so that we can live in another realm. It is cutting all of the cords of this earth's power so that we're not plugged into any power source in this earth. We are plugged into Jesus Christ. We have made the choice. We have we've burned our ships. We're on death ground. We've made the decision in our heart, I am going to follow Jesus. And when you ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, what's it mean for me to follow you? It means cutting off everything of this world and making a deposit of that in heaven. The disciples are shocked at the words, and he is shocked at the words, and he walks away grieving in his heart. He walks away grieving for he had many possessions. All of us have many possessions. One man has refused to come to Jesus. And I ask his wife, what's holding him back? He said, it's Harley Davidson. He called me this last week. said, Pastor, I still want to follow Jesus. I said, if you sold your Harley, well, I sold one, but I still have another one. That's how we set it up. Okay, Jesus, you want this? I give it to you. But I've got another one in my back pocket. I got it covered. 
This man grieving, having many possessions. Now Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, verse 23. How hard is it one for wealth to enter into the kingdom of God? But the disciples are amazed at his words. But Jesus says to them, children, how difficult it is to the ones having trusted in wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the person who trusts in their job or in a relationship How hard it is for the man who's taking care of his business. A young pastor working part-time as a pastor, full-time at another job. And I said to him, when are you going to make the decision to just go full-time as a pastor? He said, well, you know what, pastor, I've made a decision. I've got to make money. And after I've made enough money, then I'll be a full-time pastor. And then I won't have to depend on the church. I won't have to depend on anybody. And I'll be able to just be a pastor. I said, my dear brother, you will never be a pastor of the Lord Jesus Christ with that attitude. Impossible. He said, what do you mean? I said, the first thing Jesus wants to do in your life is strip out everything. Everything that's been created by your strength and by your power, Jesus wants you to give that to him. He had a hard time with my saying that. And then he said, well, I guess I really enjoy my work. I said, oh, so you don't really enjoy being a pastor. You enjoy earning money. Well, yes. Then are you called as a pastor or aren't you called? Why don't you get clear with Jesus about what he's called you to? It's, there's nothing wrong with being a businessman who works for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with working for the government when you work for Jesus at the government. It's what has Jesus called you to be and to do? Everything is put in his hands. Listen, it's not the devil who blesses. It's Jesus who blesses. It's Jesus who gives a man the ability to gain wealth. It's not the devil. Somehow we have this picture that the transition is from an abundance of everything into poverty when we follow Jesus. Just the opposite is true. When we follow Jesus, we leave the bondage of things and we walk into the freedom of being sons and daughters where the Lord Jesus himself now comes and takes an interest in us and begins to provide for us what he wants us to have. Frankly, I don't want to scramble for myself. I want Jesus to scramble for me. 
but it's a very painful transition to let go of our own stuff and begin to receive wholeheartedly from the hand of Jesus only what he desires to give us. But he wants to give us a great abundance. The greatest enterprise in the world is the gospel enterprise. To save the souls of men and women. Do you think it's cheap to run that kind of enterprise? No. It's very expensive. Is Jesus going to always starve you out? No. It's the in-between place where we starve and we die and we're crucified. And once crucified and willing now to begin to do what Jesus asks us to do, he begins to bless us and open doors of opportunity in our lives. We have it just backwards. It's the devil who steals. It's the devil who limits us. It's the devil who tries to capture us. It's Jesus who comes to set us free. Listen to what Jesus says. They were even more amazed, saying to themselves, who is able to be saved? But Jesus looked at them and he said, with men, this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You cannot work yourself out of the bondage that Satan will put you in. You have to turn to Jesus and begin to trust him and begin to come through this desert country that he puts us in. It scares me how many people I meet. who live lives of quiet desperation and pain. Miserable. Because they think that's that's all life is. Marriages that are full of bitterness and anger and brokenness. Relationships broken. That's not what Jesus called for. Listen, Peter began to say to him in verse 28, this is chapter 10 of Mark, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, look, we left everything and followed you. Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, or farms, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, unless he may receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms with persecutions, and in the coming age, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. How is that possible? 
Because when you come to Jesus Christ, you join a family of people who, if they are sold out, cover one another with whatever is necessary. As God prospers each one of us with the gifts he's given to us, and as the church comes together as one, there will be food and shelter and provision beyond anything we could have done on our own. Now, I don't see that happening today. I see the modern church, everybody's out scrambling for himself, and what they get, they keep, it's theirs. That's not the picture of church that Jesus gave to us. He gave to us a picture of church where there is a a big-heartedness, where there is more than adequate provision, A church where each family is loved and cared for by the body, by each other. A place where blessings flow. A place where people are utterly sold out to follow Jesus and not to live in their own realm of darkness. But he goes on. This story flows. Now they're on the road. They're going to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking ahead of them. And they're all amazed at what they're hearing from Jesus. And while following, they are afraid. Jesus takes the 12 aside and he begins to tell them the things about to happen to him. Now pay attention, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him. They will spit on him and kill him and on the third day he will rise. They don't understand what he's saying. They're arguing amongst themselves. It tells us in another passage about who's going to be the greatest. They're fighting. Do you understand the disciples have not yet been able to form an understanding in their heart about who Jesus is as the Messiah Is it any wonder we struggle to understand? I do. I constantly am struggling to understand how do we bring the gospel into our daily lives and live out this life of abundance in Jesus, loving and caring for those around us. How do we do that in practical terms? But that's what we're called to do. Now he says, I'm going to rise on the third day. They don't know what he means. It doesn't make sense to them. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder, 
they come. And some, another account says the mother of James and John came. Teacher, we desire that whatever we may ask, you will do for us. You know immediately they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Because their focus is on what they want Jesus to do for them, not on the ministry of outpouring for others that Jesus has been trying to deal with them on. Jesus has just outlined for them that he is going to die, shed his blood, be spit upon, be scourged. And they're coming and saying, would you do for us exactly what we ask? I mean, what would you think if I came up to Brother Ed after the service and I said, Brother Ed, would you be willing to do exactly for me what I'm going to ask you to do? Now, he might say yes because he trusts me. But my guess is he's a wise man and he's going to say to me, how much will it cost? Or he might say, well, tell me what it is and then we'll talk. I don't know what his answer would be. I've never tried it. Maybe I will. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And I can see the expression of his face. Can you? What do you want me to do for you? Please grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in glory. So what do they want? They want to be the first and second lieutenants in the new kingdom that's being established. They want positions of power and authority over the other disciples and over the nation. They believe that Jesus is going to Jerusalem not to die, but to set up his kingdom and begin to do war with the Romans and throw them out and overthrow Herod and establish an independent Jewish nation. And they want their piece of power in that new nation. Jesus said to them, you know not what you ask for yourselves. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized. And they said, we are able. Well, what's he talking about? Jesus is talking about soon he will be in the Garden of Gethsemane and he will be pleading with the Father to take this cup away from him because it's too hard for him to even contemplate. And then he will say, but it's your will, not my will. And they're saying, oh, no, no sweat, we'll do that. 
They don't know that they're asking to be crucified. Give us this place, Jesus. Be careful what you ask of him. You may be asking to be crucified with him. You know not what you ask for yourselves. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most dangerous prayer you can pray. Because you're now asking God to arrange circumstances in your life that will bring about the will of God in your life. And the will of God is that you be crucified. The will of God is that you make the payment into the kingdom of heaven of ownership of survival. The will of God is that you not continue to live in your own strength and in your own power. The will of God is that you submit to the will of God. The will of God is that you submit to the will of God. The will of God is that you submit to the will of God. Sin is rebellion against the will of God. Sin is creating for myself my own life. Sin is saying, I don't want your will in this situation Lord, I want my will. I want you to do for me what I want. I want this amount of money. I want this job. I want this relationship. I want this to work in my favor. I know what I want, and if I don't get it, I know I'm going to die. I have to have it or I'm going to die. Do you want your will or do you want God's will? If you want God's will, it may mean dying. It may mean losing the job you cherish. It may mean getting fired. When you ask that the will of God be granted in your life, you are asking for the gates of righteousness to be opened. And when the gates of righteousness are opened, it's a narrow gate, the suffering gate. Once on the other side, it's joy and it's celebration and it's freedom. Blue water. I had a dream many years ago. I was in a beautiful yacht. 
and I was sailing it down a stream about three feet wide, filled with rocks. And it was shallow, and it was bumping and grinding. I thought surely it would be utterly destroyed. Suddenly, burst out into blue water, a beautiful, beautiful, crystal clear ocean. And the sails were fully engaged. The Lord promised at some point, I would burst out into blue water. I believe that time is now. You know not what you ask for yourselves. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, indeed, you will drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized, you will be baptized. Who was the first apostle to be executed? Come on, Bible scholars. Who was the first apostle to die? James, the son of John. I wonder if he was the one pushing this argument. I don't know. But he drank the cup and he was baptized with the baptism of Jesus shortly after Jesus returned to heaven. John, on the other hand, he endured year after year after year. I think James got by far the better deal. If you were to ask me which would you prefer, I'd say let me have James. John is finally imprisoned on the island of Patmos and he's pushing into his 90s. History tells us that he was finally released and spent his last days as one of the only apostles who did not die a martyr's death. But the will of God was accomplished in both of their lives. Gloriously so. He says... But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but for whom it has been prepared. And the ten, having heard, began to express displeasure with James and John. But Jesus, having called them, said to them, this is verse 42, Mark 10, 42. You know that the ones being recognized to rule the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones of them exercise authority over them. Now it will not be so among you, but whoever may wish to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever of you may wish to be first, he will be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a means of deliverance in behalf of many. 
we don't have time today to go into the depths of this last verse, but let me simply put it this way. In the scripture, Jesus does not do atonement. In scripture, Jesus is the atonement. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, we're not going to go into one place and say, okay, I'll be a servant here, and go into another place and say, I'll be the master here. No. For the Christian, servanthood is what begins to define the very essence of who we are. We have become, in Christ Jesus, humble servants of the Most High God. And then he gives us callings and enablements to fulfill the calling and direction that he's given for our hearts and our lives. But by definition, a Christian is a humble servant. That's what we're called to. As long as you possess for yourself all of your stuff, and you have your car that gives you status, and you have your house that makes you important, and you have your job that everyone bows down to you on, you're not a servant. A servant is one who has given that car into the hands of Jesus. I'm not telling you to drive a junker. I'm not even telling you you can't drive a Corvette. What I'm telling you is whatever you drive needs to reflect the reality that you are a humble servant of the Most High God. And that it's to be used for His kingdom, whatever that means. We don't judge one another. But we are called to be servants of one another. Husbands to be servants to their wives. Wives to be servants to their husbands. At work, we're there to serve people. I spoke with one high government official. And this person said to me, my job is to serve the people that I work for. And of course, I said, well, who do you work for? All of those that are in my charge. This person didn't say my boss. This person said, I am there to serve all of those I work for. My job is to make their job easy. I'm to clear the way for them so that they can do what they're skilled at doing. I'm there to make sure they can accomplish what they need to accomplish. It's true. It's what I spend all of my time doing. Trying to find ways to help you all follow Jesus. <clears throat> That's my job. My job is to call you to follow Jesus and to teach you the information out of Scripture that will help you with integrity search after him with all of your heart. It's not my place to somehow lift myself up and say, I'm Bishop 
Greenlee. Are you kidding me? I'm not Bishop Greenlee. I'm servant Greenlee. Just like Jesus was servant Jesus. Our job is to serve, to care. Now, we've only walked with Jesus for a very short time through these encounters in the book of Mark. But I walk away from this with some things very clear in my heart. <clears throat> I was born in a very poor family. My brother said, Dad gave too much money to the church. I'm going to go make money. Well, I scorned them for their position. I said, I'm going to be a pastor, and I'm going to be somebody. It's taken Jesus years to beat that out of me. They were the more righteous than I. At least they said, we're not going to care about that. We're just going to go make money and live a life. Now, as it's worked out, neither one of them have been very successful in making their money and living their life. But I wasn't very successful either at going and being somebody. Because every time I tried, Jesus slapped me upside the head and said, stop it. And then began to unveil for me the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That we humble our hearts. That we follow him. That we invest everything we have into his kingdom. And we say, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll follow you to Gethsemane. I'll make the good deposit. I'll humble my heart. I'll trust you. Now, what's this look like for this week? Well, I'm sure all of you have people in your life that you say are knuckleheads. Now, you may have another name for them. Those are the people you need to serve this week. The unpleasant, the uncomfortable, those that Jesus is trying to reach through your life. He wants to make a difference. He wants to save them. So instead of calling them names this week, or getting angry with them this week. What if you serve them this week? Now, some people are easy to serve. They make you feel very good when you're serving them. And then other people just take it for granted that you're supposed to serve them. And something rouses up inside of you and says, don't take me for granted. I'm not your servant. Yes, you are. Called by Jesus to serve. Called by Jesus to pour your life out for another. We're at a very dangerous time in Earth's history. And we've got to figure out how to live this gospel out in practical terms. In terms that make a difference in your job and in your family. 
It's not hard to be a Christian sitting here. The job is in the home. The job is where you work. The job is in the desert when nothing's going right. To humble our hearts and say, Lord, use me here. Speak through me here. Lord, touch the broken here. Lord, would you would you prepare us for service? Would you prepare me for service? Would you prepare us and bring us completely through the laying down of our lives and bring us into the glorious kind of church you described where there is abundance and love and care, where where there is success and prosperity in the work of the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you. Please continue to speak to our hearts through this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of his glory With great joy